Welcome to Nuclear Popcorn. The rules of the game are simple. The host will show the players the last five minutes of a movie they haven't seen. The players will have a week to formulate a pitch of what they think the plot is. The closest gets meaningless points, maybe a crisp high five, probably a smooch on the forehead because they're a good boy or girl. The host will then reveal what the actual plot was. And that's it. You'll get it. You're smart. And your host for the week is... Hey. Hi, I'm August. Hi, August. Hey, August. Hey, Hi, August. Guys. I'm Dad. Ah, hey, Dad. You yeah. Where'd you go? Do, you went out for milk and I'm never came both back. Both Dad and the woman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah, so this is... This is going to be a weird episode just because I'm absolutely exhausted. I think Hi, we all exhausted. are. Uh... Hi, Dad. Hi, Dad. You keep changing my name. I don't know what to do. All right. Let's just let's just go in a circle and say our names. I'm August. I already said that. I'm Dad. Hey, Dad. Yep. I'm Luke, also hey. known as the other son in this scenario. <laughs> Apparently. Apparently. Hey, brother. I have a son. <laughs> I have, hey, I have two sons. Hey, brother. And I'm Ben. Hey, Ben. Hi, Ben. Dude, we're <laughs> all exhausted. This is going to be a high-energy, fun episode. You know it's an issue, and I am the one with the most energy in the room. <laughs> <laughs> so, usually we catch up with each other over the week. Usually we do. Usually we do. Usually. We can do that again. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I guess. Guys? That was your guys' I guess it's week. fine. Well, the th- three of us, excluding Hannah, I'm sorry, we all went to go see <sighs> Babylon. Yeah. Which yes. was the craziest movie I think I've ever seen. So crazy. Very crazy. But also, if you like movies in general, you should go see movies. this movie. <laughs> Whether you end up liking it or not, there's there's something to get out of it, I think. I think so. The whole last, the whole finale was magical. It's yeah. three hours long and it has Brad Pitt with the tiniest mustache you can ever conceive of. And it's wonderful. It's wonderful. His tiny it's little Damien mustache Giselle is beautiful. And I am a simp. For anything Damien Chazelle touches, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. go see Babylon if you dare. I think Betty. it's already out of theaters, and by the time this episode comes out, it will definitely be out of theaters. Oh, one hundred. So watch it on the biggest screen you can, very loudly, or just put your phone up right against your eyeballs. That'll uh, that'll work. Watch <laughs> it in VR. Just slam your face against. Get your, phone. your eyes dilated. Get your eyes dilated. And then watch Babylon. Di- you gotta dial for the real Babylon experience. <laughs> dilate your eyes first, and then push your phone. Experience against your it like the director wanted. Dilate your eyes. <laughs> no, when we saw it in theaters, it started with uh, Margot Robbie saying, "Hey, thank you guys for watching this." And the second best experience you can have, the first best, is dilating dilate your eyes. <laughs> We saw it at Regal, so we didn't get to salute Nicole Kidman. So oh, right, awesome. yeah, that was a bummer. Yeah. yeah, I feel I feel gross for that. Um, yeah, <laughs> Hannah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I saw White Noise. I saw The Menu, and I saw RRR. Ooh, what's Ooh. your opinion on RRR? The big it was three. Dope. It's so good. RRR is I, nuts. I showed Dad <laughs> not to not to, and he was like. That is one of the coolest things I've seen. Like, I was like, "Isn't that the coolest really like thing from it's like insane of the last like one of the coolest things from last year?" He was like, "Yeah, that's amazing." I was like, "Yeah." I watched I was so excited about RRR it. over Thanksgiving with my little cousin who freaks out at everything in movies, <laughs> and it was like every two seconds, he's like, "They know each other. They're friends. Wait, they're not friends." <laughs> they're enemies. And, like, yeah, it, that sounds like an adorable experience. It was the best oh. movie watching experience I've had in a long time. Aww. So, Matthew, if you're listening to this, I don't know how you would be, but I love you, buddy. We love <laughs> you, Matthew. Yeah. All right, let's get into the into the movie we did this week because I'm feeling impatient. Um, <laughs> I picked Dark City, but more specifically, I picked the director's cut of Dark City, which oh. has Ooh. next to no differences besides Fancy. one big difference. Um. Yeah. We watched. We didn't actually watch the last five minutes. We watched the last three minutes because I didn't want to give them too much. And How the last. <laughs> August is lifting up his chin. <laughs> I am high society member. I'm an aristocrat. Um, but I chose the director's cut. I chose the director's cut the way Alex Proyas really wanted it. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Um, who? Because I don't know. I really don't know who he is. I didn't but... say that. <laughs> I didn't say that. But. Uh, it, it's because, like, the two minutes before the last three minutes pretty much spoils the whole movie, but who cares that much? Okay, uh, we, can, we can go into describing the last three minutes. Yeah. 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 So we open on 
who we later learn is John Murdoch. John Murdoch. Um, mm. Opens the door. Yeah, he's in this dark hallway. City. Hallway. Like I'm assuming this is the dark city. <laughs> hallway. Movie's named after yeah, cobblestone hallway, and he opens this door. Big bright light hits him right in the face. Blinding light. It hits him and this and bald dude. guy. Yeah. And the bald Ooh. guy. On a like... second watch, I recognize him. I don't know who he is. I, I if he's even. Looks anybody. a little I will like actually Fester. talk about it. Okay. Yeah. He's well, like a little like Fester. Yeah, he does look like Fester. Fester-ish. He's also wearing some kind of costume. Did I don't know what it was supposed to be, but looked a little freaky. Um, but he like cat like Fester just like ah, yeah, he's like he just, scared like, of the light. Shields his face and then backs away into the darkness, and so John exits the dark city. He's allergic to the sun. Yeah, is he a vampire? Is he's this part of the vampires? Oh, yeah, vampire, I, I'm sticking to a theme of movies about vampires <laughs> that aren't actually about vampires. So. <laughs> This is my second one. The one next week's gonna be Twilight. Have you guys nice. have you guys heard of Twilight? No, no. not at all. Okay, not at all. then that'll be my movie next time I'm hosting. Sweet. <laughs> so, so John <laughs> steps out of the dark city uh, onto this long pier, this long dock, mm-hmm. uh, and it's surrounded by ocean. And then there's a woman at the end of the dock. Uh, before we find out who she is, it's Jennifer Connelly. Jennifer yeah, Connelly. Yep. It's Jennifer Connelly. Um, and she, she's just standing at the edge of the dock and she goes, it's so bright, so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly <laughs> like that too. Behind him, after he walks out of the dock, it's this big metal wall with like tube, like big sewage tubes or pipes coming out of it. Kind of a, akin to the beginning and towards the end of Inception. Yeah. Right. Like building right on the shore. Right. right on a beach. I also got Truman Show vibes. Yeah. Out of these last five minutes. It felt like there was a big, like the dark city was encased in this big structure. Mm-hmm. And so when he exited, it felt like he was Truman exiting. Yeah. Luke, you've, maybe you've cut sure. this out. <laughs> <laughs> no, spoilers. Well, if you haven't seen Truman Show, what are you doing? Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Watch Truman Show Go before watch... listening to the next few bits. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, it felt like Truman exiting and finally being free, but he's not excited about it. He's just he just walks to the end of the dock. Kind of calm. Very calm. Uh, he asks her about Shell Beach. Yeah, is she there knows Shell Beach around, around here? here? Is there Shell Beach around here? Shell Beach. And um, right, she says, I think it's just right over there. And she points over and there's like a lighthouse and mm, island. an island or something. You see, I interpreted... Whatever that little peninsula thing was, as two different things, first watch, second watch. First watch, I thought that the lighthouse was a giant crucifix <laughs> at an angle. So I was what? like, okay. huh, weird. And then second watch, I was like, that's not a crucifix. That's the Jesus statue in Rio de Janeiro. <laughs> and so the second watch, I was like going through these theories. Is this just Waterworld? But now they're in Rio de Janeiro. <laughs> But and then the dark city is like I don't know. But that's totally unrelated to my pitch. But that's just what I was thinking early on. But maybe it's a lighthouse. I think it's a lighthouse. <laughs> it's a lighthouse. Um, and then she's go. Uh, Jennifer Connelly goes. Oh, I'm headed that way towards Shell Beach. She has a briefcase. Yes, there's a briefcase. There is a briefcase. briefcase. She's holding a briefcase. She has a red coat in her hand. Um, and a floral dress. I made sure to write down everything they were wearing because it was only like three minutes. Yeah. So we... And honestly, not much happened in these three minutes. It was very calm. Right. This was the simplest last five minutes we had. Agreed. Oh, but uh, yeah, she goes, I'm headed that way. Do you want to join me? He goes, sure. And they start walking. And she goes, I'm Anna, by the mm-hmm. way. And he goes, is John. Is it Ada or Anna? Anna. I, thought it was I heard Anna. Anna. Okay, I think it is Anna. Um, I just want to check. She goes, I'm Anna. He goes, I'm John Murdoch. And then they walk into, <laughs> they walk off the dock, fade to walk black. That's the, the end. That's the end of the movie. The sunset, yeah. yeah, you guys got it. It wasn't. It's not complicated. You guys got it really right. <laughs> <laughs> Had a lot to think about over the week. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> before our first pitch, I once again shored up some good. Uh, some advertisements, oh, some God. ad copy oh, from some sponsors. People are giving us money? They, they're trying to. They're trying their hardest. Really, you know, they're really giving us emotional support. That's, That's, isn't that we're not getting paid for in these. the long run? We're not getting paid for these. Hopefully we will one day, but right now it's just like, yeah. Free advertisements for these companies. <laughs> <laughs> All right, our first ad. Okay. 
October 5th, 2025, in a car accident. Oh, I'm, oh shit, sorry, that's that's the day I die. Okay, here's the ad, copy. <laughs> Burger oh, okay. King, have it your way, or else. All right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Our first pitch of the night is... Uh, Hannah! Yay! I need to find energy real quick. Here's All right. Y'all ready? Y'all ready for this? Y'all ready for this? All right. Oh, we might get sued for that. <laughs> okay. So, Anna and John met on the docks a ways from Shell Beach. It was a bright and busy day, kids and parents running along the pier with balloons, cotton candy, and toys of all kinds. But John only had eyes for Anna. At the time, she had a white umbrella blocking her gaze from the sun. She had little to no interest in John, too focused on her scribbling to notice him staring. He approached, the two got to talking, and love came swiftly. The two moved to the city where Anna could focus on her writing and John could work his endless afternoons battling rows of numbers. Months passed, then a year, and John no doubt loved Anna to the ends of the earth, but he'd never said it, not even once. It was Christmas time, and Anna's heart was being eaten up little by little at this thought. Why couldn't he just say it? John kinda sucks. The colorful lights <laughs> and shots along the street set a merry mood, but Anna wasn't amused, and John knew something was wrong. As the snow began to fall, Anna questioned him. She asked why, after all this time, he still couldn't say it. John just fell silent. Anna ran away from him as the storm worsened. John tried to follow, but was too slow amongst the winds of time. When he returned home, Anna was nowhere to be seen. Upset by his cowardly behavior, John visited an old, dirty bar he used to go to before he met Anna. This part of the city is dark, dank, musty. The bartender can sense something is wrong, but asks no questions, and said, simply pouring him his usual. A woman in a red coat approaches John, initially flirting with him. When he says he has no interest in her, he's already taken, she quickly switches gears. She knows exactly why he's here. This catches his attention. She tells him she can help him find his Anna for a price. Throughout the night, John is tested by the woman in red, each task relating to a stage of grief, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and finally, acceptance. The tasks grow more and more demanding and violent as time goes on. After completing the first four tasks, the final task involves John facing himself in the mirror. This task turns out to be the most terrifying of all. John turns into a crippled old man before his eyes. He oh. is failing the task, unable to come to terms with reality. It turns out that Anna never returned home the night they argued. She ran out into the snow, got lost, and froze to death alone. Uh -huh. When John returned home, he discovered the news of her death and went crazy with guilt. He grew old, drinking himself into oblivion out of a bright red bottle. He hears Anna calling for him as he faces himself in the mirror. He follows it down a winding, dark hallway. He's not sure where she is, but he has the courage now to do what he never could before. He finally says it, the three little words. They set him free. With a flash of bright white light, John is reunited with Anna on the docks. But there is no one else there, and Anna now holds a briefcase. The conversation from the beginning of the film plays out, and both leave to visit the lighthouse beyond the mist and the haze. It's unsure as to whether John and Anna will ever be able to find happiness in this afterlife or not, but he now has been offered a second chance. Hell yeah. Whoa. That was like a weird, awesome time loop. Yeah. That was really good. Thank you. Thank you. It was like a eternal sunshine. Yeah. I'm imagining Guillermo del Toro style. Yeah. Yeah. Like the twisty. I love that. Always bright red <laughs> bottle. Big fan, del Toro. That... That was fun. That was another one of those that I would like to see an actual movie version yeah. of. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. August, after seeing the actual uh, Dark City, is this better than the actual plot? They're drastically different. Okay. I like it's it's one <laughs> of those things that I can't compare. They're just so <laughs> they're they're just win. Different. Come on. <laughs> oh. you know. And with the, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Wow. So yeah, that was really good. Was thank really you. Good. Um thank you. Yeah, so I I'm having, I'm extremely tired right now, so I don't feel up to reading the next bit of ad copy. So I'm going to have Hannah read it for us. Oh, really? Really? Yes, I'm going to text it to you right oh, now. Oh, you're texting, you're texting yes. it to me? Yes, oh. I am. <laughs> what is this? Don't read it yet. Read it, make the first time you read it be out loud to the thing. All right, all right, here's our next bit of ad copy. Thank you, Hannah. You're, you're so welcome. Do you thrift all of your clothes? Do you only buy from secondhand websites? Do you only buy from posts that include a picture of the owner wearing the clothes because you like the smell? Come to Anaheim Thrift. All of our clothes are pre-worn by our employees. Guaranteed. <laughs> I have the smell? a lot of questions. 
Alrighty, our next pitch. <laughs> <He's gonna laughs> over you that smell one. Instagram posts? <laughs> no, no, I think what they're saying is, like, you know how on secondhand <laughs> websites... <laughs> I like how on those, like, secondhand thrift websites, you know what I mean? Every once in a while there'll be a post where, like, the owner of the clothes is wearing them to, like, model them. Right. And then they're just asking, oh, are you the type of person that only buys from those posts because you like how they smell when you get them? Oh, okay. So yeah, I thought, I think that's what specifically saying, catered sure. I thought from they were implying like, pre-worn. <laughs> yeah, I thought they were implying like, oh, buy this because it smells like this. That well, they're saying that their employees wear all of the clothes. <laughs> right. So it's gonna have that smell implicit. In how it. do I sign up? <laughs> it's yeah, an Anaheim, has a lot of so. informa- inside information on this. Yeah, you must be really tight with these owners. <laughs> we we went back and forth. They sent me some some weirder ad copy, and I was like, "Can we trim this down, make it a little bit more right, digestible?" Right. Oh, there was weirder. Okay. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, but like you'll have to go to Oregon to get close. <laughs> All right, and I'm trying to. Yeah. All right, and our our next pitch for the night. This is a quick episode right now, but we're moving along. We're moving. We're moving, we're moving quick. We're moving. All right, our next pitch is from the lovely Ben. Right? That's me. Ah, it's Ben. Yep. Yeehaw, bud. Here we go. Um, yeah, I'll just hop right into it. Dark City is a massive fortress that houses the remaining human population after a nuclear war many, many years ago. The fortress is airtight with thick walls that prevent any radioactive permeation, and there's only one highly fortified entrance that hasn't been opened since the war. Naturally, the population divided Dark City based on social class. The rich quite literally live at the very top, stacked high to the ceiling of the fortress. And the law states that anyone below a certain level, level 55B, is prohibited from igniting any fires, since the stacked buildings could come crumbling down from above. We cut to John Murdoch, the manager of a frozen yogurt place on level 40. The fire code works in his business's favor since they explicitly house and sell cold yogurt. His frozen yogurt place is pretty popular, and every once in a while, a big order will need to be delivered to the top floor. High priority. Usually, the owner of the store carries out this order, but he's grown deathly ill, so he asks John to guide the order from checkpoint to checkpoint up to the top. John heads off with a large refrigerated cart of frozen yogurt. This task, however, proves to be a little more daring than he expected because instead of elevators and ramps, the verticality of this city runs solely by overlapping industrial escalators. John monitors the temperature of the order from checkpoint to checkpoint every 10 floors, and at each checkpoint, he bumps into several characters, power-hungry judicial marshals, an old priest handing out literature about a golden place called Shell Beach, and a a poorly organized militia that tries to recruit him. At the last checkpoint, John meets a beautiful but mysterious woman in a red coat, played by Jennifer Connelly. She carries a large briefcase that magnetizes to John's frozen yogurt cart, so he helps her get it unstuck. She thanks him and departs, but he's unable to get her name. John reaches the top floor, level 99, illuminated by thousands of fireflies and jars. He waits in a long line of food vendors from all over Dark City, leading up to the sealed entrance. He's greeted coldly by bald and mute doormen through a series of passageways where a door could close behind you, and then one would open in front. And that cycle would continue uh, for some time, but one of the food vendors causes a disruption and bursts all the way through the doors, passing John, shouting, The fallout is over, let us out! The fallout is over, let us out! And this vendor breaks through the final door, revealing a blinding light. John sees a large window to the outside world, blue skies, white clouds. He's never seen anything like it. Immediately, a judicial marshal steps in and shoots the revolutionary in the back of the head before the doormen shut the gates. Shocked, John falls to his knees, and the doormen coldly take his froyu cart into the next passageway. Uh, Marshal drags John down a separate corridor. John is interrogated before a council of officers. They need to ensure he didn't see anything beyond the last gate. He tries to convince them that he's only a delivery man and that whatever he might have seen doesn't confirm anything. The officers assure him that this is for his safety and the safety of the populace, that the fortress must be kept sealed from the radiation. But John surmises that if they are hiding anything at all, surely something must not be true. John wants more answers than they'll give him, so the officers take him away to keep him quiet. In jail, John briefly goes, er, John briefly gets to know his cellmate, Dalton, an actual member of the revolutionary militia, who was caught delivering a top-secret map to the secret gate out of Dark City. Dalton says that his father had been outside of the city once before to the Golden Beach full of shells, but when he tries to get others to follow him, they shrugged him off as a lunatic. John thinks of the priest, but is caught off guard by the same mysterious woman from before, who passes by his cell with her briefcase. He tries to get her attention, but Dalton tells her the cell is sound, tells him that the sound is ah sorry, but Dalton tells him that their cell is soundproof. It's a tongue twister. John says that it's a shame that they lost the map since he'd like to visit Shell Beach someday. But Dalton lifts up his shirt to reveal the directions carved onto his chest. Oh. Mm. The secret entrance is on level four. Or, sorry, the secret entrance is on level one, the ground floor. 
When the main gate on uh, level 9 is heavily guarded by officers, the secret entrance is unguarded, but can only be reached after descending through the most dangerous levels in the city. It would take at least a small army to make it out alive. But don't worry, Dalton says. Help is on the way. Immediately, an alarm goes off in the prison, and guards run down the hall. Dalton brings John to the door of the cell and shields, him, shields himself before the opposite wall explodes. Several militiamen enter the hole in the wall, rig, a, rig up a zipline. I'm sorry, there's so many tongue twisters in here. <laughs> and harness the two men, bringing them down and out. In a secret hideout, the militia pulls together a, se- or a secret escape plan. John looks around the motley gang of revolutionaries and quickly realizes that they lack the capacity to organize themselves. Everyone claims to be the leader in some power-hungry hierarchy, which goes against the revolution's very principles. The priest from before enters and silences the crowd, chastising them for their insolence. They all cower in fear and apologize, saying, Sorry, Father. Sorry, Father. John is confused at first, but he slowly realizes that the relationship is less familial and more like that of a cult leader and his followers. The priest, aptly named Guru, welcomes John and extends his gratitude for joining the militia. They establish a plan to descend the levels of the city with firearms, avoiding officer checkpoints and any further interruptions to the ground floor, only to use firearms where strictly necessary. While they successfully avoid several officer checkpoints, they're halted at at floor 55B and search for any incendiary devices. The revolutionaries reveal their weapons and a gunfight ensues, resulting in the death of half the revolutionaries, including Guru. John, Dalton, and the remaining insurrectionists make make it through and hide away in an abandoned club. John peeks through a window at the crowd of people swarming the scene and notices the same woman in a red coat looking at the carnage in a panic. She's issued away. The revolutionaries are devastated by the loss of their leader and immediately bicker about who will take control or if the journey was even worth it. Fed up, John tells them to pull themselves together. What they just endured was the easy part, but once they descend below level 25, which is the lowest level Dalton has been, there's no telling what to expect. The men gather themselves and make off for John's frozen yogurt store. And once there, they look over the plan, gather flashlights, and eat froyo to refuel. (laughs) Looking down at his almond pistachio yogurt, John questions his journey and wonders if he already lived the good life. What's beyond the walls of Dark City? And will the risks be outweighed by the reward? After the men rest up, they descend to the 30s, where there are no escalators. They must travel by foot. The 30s are overcrowded and impoverished, but the rest of the city sits on their shoulders. The majority of the work done in the 30s is disposing of trash materials from from other levels properly, grinding them up without burning. The 20s are a terrifying place. It reeks of feces and rotting flesh. Though mostly uninhabited at first, save the occasional junkie lurking in the shadows, the revolutionaries see a faint light on level 20, and they turn off their lights. As they approach, they see a great bonfire in an old city square, surrounded by people crawling in a circle. Around it, hands chained to the person's feet in front of them. They wail and cry in pain while muscular behemoth men whip them with scourges. Horrified, the revolutionaries scramble away, but one of them slips and falls, toppling a pyramid of human rib cages. The revolutionaries sprint away, and the behemoths turn and chase them. The fallen member cries out in agony while the others split up. John and Dalton wait in the shadows, listening to the slaughter. John asks why Dalton had been to these floors before, and Dalton reveals he was born on level 25 and brought up by Guru after he visited Shell Beach. The directions engraved on his chest as a baby made him the map to lead people out, and recarved over the years he intends to fulfill that purpose. He tells John to memorize the directions quickly as two behemoths corner their hiding spot. Dalton assures John that he will meet him at the beach, and he leaps up from their spot and leads the behemoths away with a commotion. John descends into the teens and finds that they're mostly abandoned. His flashlight goes out and he throws it away, depending solely on touch and little shafts of bioluminescent light from fireflies that poke through the walls. He slowly loses his mind, but never forgets the direction out. This brings us to the end of the film, where he passes a random bald man and exits the outside world in an unassuming alleyway. (laughs) Beyond the vast wall, John finds a long dock extending out beyond the fortress, overlooking a vast blue ocean. The woman stands at the edge of a dock in a floral dress, red coat in hand, holding her briefcase. After they stand together for a bit, she tells him it's so beautiful here, so bright with clouds above. She directs him to Shell Beach, down the shore, with a large cross on it. (laughs) As she departs, she asks if he'd like to join her, and he does. Her name is Anna, and his name is John Murdoch. They walk back at sunset off the dock. At the end. Wow. Okay. That was a lot. That was... so good. Definitely the longest pitch... I've done because I used word instead of notes. Oh yeah, mm. and that tends to drag things out. So if you want like a more concise, I I tend to use notes. No, I I like that a lot. It reminded me of kind of of Brazil. Yeah. Kind of. Um, I got a little bit of Maze Runner. A little bit of Maze Runner. Yeah. The a little bit of that. Were definitely Brazil, Snowpiercer. Mm. Yes. Yeah, After Hours. Oh yeah, definitely. And Little, Babylon, of course. That one scene. I was about to say that one scene from Babylon. Yeah. The m- most disturbing scene in any movie I think I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. 
That was great, Ben. But I want to see that. I yeah. want to see your movie so bad. I want to see it as like a mini series. And Dread. Yes, <laughs> Dread definitely. I just want to watch Dread again. Me too. Yeah. It's a good movie. That was good, Ben. Oh, yeah, that, that was, was good. That was Dark City. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't, but it was. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was good. Um, give away the points. Goodness gracious, August. <laughs> I I'm gonna have a lot. I can already tell I'm gonna have a lot of trouble giving out points this episode. Oh boy! I, Unless uh, Luke gets like exactly what the if plot Luke gets is. it exactly, I'm like, well, you gotta get something. I um, promise you, that's not gonna happen. Who well, knows? Hey, you <laughs> Actually, might. I can't wait for your pitch. Me too. Um. All right. Uh. Before we go on to our next pitch, I have another um piece of ad copy I got from a sponsor. I am once again tired, so Ben's gonna read it for us. Sounds good. Because I, yeah, I don't want to. I'm going to try to not look at it until I. All right. Okay, I have it here. Yeah, read it whenever. Ah! 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 Don't turn on the dryer. Mittens is in there. Bounce dryer sheets. We can't get the stains out, but everything else will smell like lavender. <laughs> oh my God. It just says screaming in parentheses, so I couldn't tell if it was in pain or if it was. <laughs> I think they I think they were okay with either one. I think they either were screaming just said, pain or screaming. Sc- <laughs> right. Don't turn on the dryer. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure about that one, but Bounce was really excited. They were like, no, this fits this fits this everything fits really it. well. I was yeah. like, okay, Bounce, if this is what you guys want. You can put anything in there. If this dryer. is what you you're not paying us to read, that's okay. Like just we'll keep in mind, Bounce, this is a strictly audio format, so Right. <laughs> no visuals here for what you what you're trying to convey. I will say that that paints a pretty clear visual, though. I agree. I think it does. If yeah. we want to take any clips from this episode and play it at the beginning of the episode, <laughs> it should just be the screen. One hundred percent. All right, all right. On to our next pitch, our final pitch, um, and it is from our main man, Luke. I'm the main man. Yeah, yeah. the main man. Yeah, the if you had to pick one main man, you'd be you'd the main, be the main man. man. I don't like that. Well, that you know, sounds you know, like a main man. You know me. who's the main man? John Murdoch. John Murdoch. Hey. No, you right. You right. So we think. So, <laughs> so we think. think. Jennifer Connelly could be the main man. Is it's he true. though? So we're gonna. We're about to find out. Are we? <laughs> John Murdoch is your everyday guy. His life isn't anything special, but he makes the most of it by living the simple, quiet life with his neighbors, his dog, and his best friend. In this dystopian future, John works a run-of-the-mill job as a hologram cook, <laughs> serving up the finest transparent delicacies in the city. That's so good! <laughs> don't ask me what an edible hologram is, I don't know either. But Plankton knows. We will someday. <laughs> Plankton. Plankton from the one episode of Spongebob, he knows. You're right. Uh, John finds purpose in life by serving these morsels of light to a city that does not quite remember what light looked like. Everyone loves his holograms. He figured out a way to reflect true happiness in each hologram he cooked up. It was only a matter of time before somebody discovered his worth. When John's manager, Kyle, decides to open up a new location of the hologram restaurant, John thinks for sure that this is his time to step up. But he gets passed up for the promotion for his less-than-stellar co-worker, Simon. Kyle explains that John is just a little too immature for the position. He's still pretty young. Devastated that he did not get the promotion, John goes to the local bar with his best friend and drinks his sorrows away. Kyle built this hologram restaurant as competition for his rival Parker's restaurant right down the street. Kyle and Parker have a very Hatfield and McCoy friendship for a while, uh, but this was the last straw for Parker. In an attempt to frame Kyle... Parker hatches a plan to steal the president's toupee and blame it on Kyle to put him out of business for good. Okay. The next day. <laughs> Dude, how did you get it? Like, that's, I, you know, you even got the toupee subplot. I'm so exactly. surprised. I, I, I kind of lied. I had seen this movie before. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so the next day, the president swarms Kyle's restaurant, accusing him of stealing his toupee. In an attempt to seem more mature for Kyle... John volunteers to find the president's toupee and where it currently resides, Shell Beach. Oh, shit. Oh, no, my wait, God. Okay, okay. You are not doing No, this. proceed, proceed. Keep going. John sets out with his best friend, named Patrick, to find the toupee and himself <laughs> along the way. While on his journey, John keeps having dreams about a woman named Anna. He shrugs it off and keeps trekking. In an attempt to sabotage John... Parker hires a bald hitman named Dennis to track him down. <laughs> Dennis scares them a little, but not oh too much gosh. to keep going. <laughs> the rest of the movie plays out with John adventurously finding his way out of the dark city and into the light. He loses Patrick along the way, but as he sacrifices himself to keep Dennis from getting them. Once he reaches Shell City, I mean Shell Beach, 
<laughs> all light is found. Anna, the woman of his dreams, turns out she had the president's toupee all along in the briefcase. The last five minutes plays out. He meets the woman from his dreams, Anna. They travel to Shell uh, Beach together <laughs> and deliver the president's toupee in an epic rock number set to the tune of I Want to Rock by Twisted Sister. Kyle is forgiven, Parker is locked away, and Anna is just David Hasselhoff in a wig. Thank you, good night. Nice! Uh-huh. <laughs> I... In case you didn't get it, I just wanted to watch the Spongebob movie. What shape was his guitar at the end? Oh, it was uh, flying... In the shape of a cashew. It says Krusty Krab on the headstock, actually. That, I... Oh, my gosh. Just... That was... I I heard Shell Beach, and I was like, oh, it's kind of like Shell City, and I didn't stop there. Yep. (sighs) We were trying to decipher, like, the time frame that actual Dark City was released, (laughs) and so we decided it was sometime... Like, judging by Jennifer Connelly, it was, like, 95 to 2005, which is a pretty big range. Yeah. Which Spongebob fits into that range. Yeah. (laughs) But when you said stole the president's toupee, I was thinking, like, Clinton or Bush? (laughs) And so I couldn't couldn't quite pinpoint it until... But the... See, the twist is that was really Jeffrey Tambor. It was actually Jeffrey Tambor. When when I started this pitch... And Jennifer Connelly was Scarlett Johansson. He's a hologram coach, and you're like, oh, Plankton knows what it is. I was like, no, he knows what I'm about to say. <laughs> All I remember is the episode of him eating the holographic meatloaf. Like, that's... Yeah, his fork just goes right through wow. it. That was great. That was wonderful. Thank you. I'm, I'm very proud of you. I'm, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. All right, I've got one more sponsor, and then... I will give out points, and Yay. I think when I give out points, you guys are going to get upset. I would but. just love to know that when I've glanced over at you, and I saw your computer screen, the first thing that I see is Jughead. No, because I, on my computer, I have Luke's phone pulled up, and I'm about to send him the ad copy. And the last thing he sent me was, in case you haven't noticed, I'm weird. Oh. I'm a weirdo <laughs> from Riverdale. Yeah. His hat. Huh, that's interesting. <laughs> and you know what, that, that, that pretty much sums up mine and Luke's relationship. I yeah. did think you were going to say that you saw Haley Joel Osment on his, on his no, screen. No, I've got a picture of that I haven't seen that. Perpetually tonight. on a tab. That I always have a picture of Haley Joel Osment pulled up on my He does. I can confirm. Yes. Keep a picture of him in my wallet at all times. <laughs> all right, so... Again, I'm tired. Don't want to read this next one. I'm sending it to Luke. Luke, if you wouldn't mind reading our next bit of ad copy. Absolutely. I would love to. Have you ever seen your ex at a Chick-fil-A double drive-thru so f- so you floored Daddy's Beamer into a nearby TME <laughs> John's? Well, I have. And to make sure I never get embarrassed while waiting for my eight-count nugget and frosted lemonade again, I use the toy face mask of Olympic silver medalist Colby Stevenson, new from Hasbro, for only four payments of $5.99. You too can look like Olympic silver medalist Colby Stevenson. No more being forced to talk to people you don't remember. Look like Olympic silver medalist Colby Stevenson today. Hasbro. That was about 30 seconds. I couldn't like pinpoint what it was an ad for until the third, the last third. I'm dropping the bid for a second. I can't remember writing that. Like, I really can't remember writing that. I remember looking up, I remember looking up Olympic silver medalists, because I thought that was funny, but I don't remember writing the rest of that. <laughs> My favorite line from that is, so you drew, so you floored Lord, Daddy's Beamer into a nearby Jimmy John's. What I love is that... On a street in Nashville, where we are, yeah, at Chick Fil A and Jimmy John's are right next to each other. Oh, so yeah. I had a perfect visual. It's a double drive through. Yeah, yeah. Uh, every block in Nashville, pretty much, is a Chick Fil A and, Jimmy and a Jimmy John's. <laughs> oh no! That was so good. I love when I laugh at my own jokes. Um, all right, so down to the final judging. Wow, we're only 30, 30 minutes into this. This is okay. a short episode. Um, so points. For most accurate, I, oh my gosh, I hate that I'm doing this, but for most accurate, I'm going to have to give Luke. Yeah! Oh my God! Six Jennifer Connellys, all with a different name. I have to do that. I'm so sorry. I have so many questions. (laughs) Are we just going to watch the Spongebob movie? (laughs) but, But that's the thing, is it's by a technicality. Right? 
Okay. It's just because... There's a hitman named Dennis. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's just because the whole movie is in complete darkness. Or, like, the, they never see the light in the whole... Like, that's the that's why it's called Dark City. There's no sun or anything. Got it. Ben's yours featured the sun more than it's featured in the movies. Yours, Luke, yours was the only one that was exclusively in the dark pretty much the entire time. That's Holy the crap. only reason I can give that to you. Let's go! <laughs> um, and then... And it's kind of a mystery, so they're trying to solve stuff or whatever. Okay, that's And fair. then, ugh, most creative. I feel like I have to give it to Ben. Yeah. Just because of how immensely dense it was. It was. It was a story. I tried to read the audience, <laughs> which is you. <laughs> I tried to, yeah, get in your headspace. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so those are the points. And well, then, what does, well, how many points does Ben get? Oh, that's a good point. Uh, ben gets... Um, Ben gets three and a half bald men. Cool. <laughs> nice. And the, and the half bald man is really a child. Darn it! Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm thinking of a little, uh, what are the, what, what's a Nicholas Holt in Mad Max Fury Road? No, they all kind of look like, yeah, they all kind of look like boys. Well, That's uh, what I think. I mentioned that because in this movie there is a small bald child. Cool. Really? Um, yeah, actually. So, so seven was it seven Jennifer Connellys uh, all with six. different names? He gets six. six Jennifer Connellys all with different names. All with different names. And you get uh, I'm okay with that. three and a half. Three and a half bald, bald men. men. Yes. See, I when you said bald men, I just pictured Mr. Clean, not Mad Max, so that put a very different <laughs> image in my head. I thought of Dean Norris. <laughs> <laughs> all right. No. Or the Dean from Community. The Dean. The Dean from Community. That's that would make this movie a lot funnier um, <laughs> if it was Jim Rash. <laughs> Alrighty, so I'm gonna go into the actual plot of the movie. Let's go. Um, I will say that this is copy and pasted from Wikipedia because I feel lazy today. So Woo. let's start. Today I don't feel like doing this. <laughs> so John Murdoch, played by Rufus Sewell. Uh, well, actually, hold on. Let me get into more of the history of the movie first. Cut please. out everything I just said, please, Luke. No, I might leave it in for the bit. Okay, well, it's up to you. It's whatever you want to do. <laughs> a little smile you just gave me, like, it's staying. It's going. It's staying. It's staying. All right, so. You don't get a choice. It's staying. This movie is directed by Alex Proyas. Pro- Proyas? You're asking you're us? Proyas. P-R-O-Y-A-S. Proyas. Yeah, sure. Let's do that. Proyas. And it was it was written by it was written by him and Lem Dobbs and David S. Goyer. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. So, Dark Knight guy. What? Like all those DC movies. Yeah. Su- suicide. I think it's Suicide. Is this a DC? No, that's problem? David Ayer. That's David. I'm thinking of David. Suicide Ayer. Squad. Right. <laughs> he, yeah, he did Suicide Squad and Fury. Wait, who's David S. Goyer then? What? I'm he so... did the story for the Dark Knight trilogy. Batman oh, v okay. Superman, Man, Man I, of Steel. My brain isn't working right now. Um, For a second, I David forgot Blaine. that this movie was called Dark City and not Dark Knight. And so <laughs> when he said, <laughs> oh, Dark Knight, Knight, I was like, yeah, he yeah. wrote this movie. <laughs> um, this movie is very heavily inspired by Metropolis. Oh, um, oh yeah. okay. And so, Ben, you mentioning like, oh, I don't know what time period this movie's in. They make a point in the movie to say that this is a city built from every time period of human history. Hmm. Or like of the 1900s. So it's, each building is kind of themed differently. It's supposed to look like it could be out of any any time period. Um, so, and honestly, the sets are like the best part of this movie. It's really, really good. The acting is cool. pretty good. <laughs> um, Thank you. So it, it was originally written by Alex Proyas, and then he brought in Lem Dobbs, and then he brought in David S. Goyer to help with the more action scenes when they got a higher budget. And then the sets were later sold off to The Matrix, so you can see a lot of similarities oh. between those two things. Okay. Um, Wait, when was this released? This movie was released. That would be a good thing for me to say. 1998, so right in that time. You were right on the line. Right Bro, the year I was born. Right. Okay. Yeah, so like... Tracks. That's whack. <laughs> <laughs> Anna um, is Dark City. I am Dark City. <laughs> Figures. I, one of the one of the biggest critiques this movie gets, surprisingly, is that Kiefer Sutherland plays like a wormy little uh, psychologist guy. The dude from Twenty Four. Yeah, he plays like a like a like a scrawny <laughs> psychiatrist, and people are like, "I don't believe that." 
not me what? only knowing Kiefer Sutherland as Kiefer Sutherland. I'm like, I buy it. But also, it's weird. Like, if you know him from 24 or anything else, it's or weird. what else was he in? Lone Survivor? I'm sure. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I just know him as Kiefer. Um, look him up. Oh, uh, gosh. I, my brain is Designated all over Survivor. the place. That's, yes. what, that's the name there, of the that's show. That's the show. Not Lone Survivor. Uh, it's <laughs> Mark Wahlberg. That's what I was wondering. I was like, oh, really? <laughs> the Lost Boys. Stand by me. Yeah. I'm going to be frustrating the crap out of the audience right now because my brain is all over the place. It's okay. Alex Perlis also directed The Crow. Oh my god! So that's oh, wow. why it's very it, visually, okay, okay, visually, yeah, it's yeah. extremely similar. Heavily, like really dark, really noir, really like okay. yeah. So, mm. Um, mm. yeah. So he directed The Crow, and then I think a couple years later he did this movie. So, yeah, I will get into the plot, and if I remember anything else I was gonna say, I will say it when I remember it. All right, John Murdoch, once again played by Rufus Sewell. Awakens in a hotel bathtub, suffering from amnesia. He receives a phone call from Dr. Daniel Schrieber, who is, sorry, who is played by Kiefer Sutherland, who urges him to flee the hotel to evade a group of men who are after him. In the room, Murdoch discovers the corpse of a ritualistically murdered woman, along Mm -hmm. with a bloody knife. He flees the scene just as a group of pale men in in leather trans... Leather... He flees the scene just as a group of pale men in leather trench coats later identified as the strangers, arrive. Um, they pretty much, uh, leather trench coats zipped up to the top, and they are bald and pale. Me rolling up to the club. <laughs> <laughs> um, police inspector Frank Bumstead, played by... His name is not Frank Bumstead. His name Frank is Frank Bumstead, and he's played by William Hurt. Oh, huh. Um... Yeah, he's looking for Murdoch as a suspect in a series of murdered prostitutes, though Murdoch can't remember actually killing anybody. Hmm. Um, following the clues, Murdoch lo- learns his own name and finds out he has a wife named Emma, played by Jennifer Connolly. Um, Wait, what? Her name was Emma? I will explain that in a minute. Um, okay. Yeah. Big fan of the name Emma. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Contractually obligated. <laughs> <laughs> Emma, are there are, listening to this, I love you. Also, with this thing, there's a lot of things I'm leaving out just for the sake of time. Um, but it will also take me a long time to go through this. Um, when the strangers catch up with Murdoch, he shows that he has the ability to alter reality at will. What? Which, huh? the, which <laughs> the strangers can also do, and they refer to it as tuning, and he manages to flub his way with his powers to escape. Basically, like these, like... You know, in Super Friends, when Aquaman is talking to fish and it's got those little, like, air uh, circle yeah, things, yeah. that's what it looks like when he manipulates reality. So, so they're they're up on, like, a balcony, mm. and he, like, makes the floor disappear underneath them, and they fall, and then they fly back up to get to him. So R100? Yeah, it's R100, but the Matrix, and also... It's... I, I, I lost the last Super one. Friends. <laughs> Super Friends. <laughs> once, <laughs> once I'm done with this, I'm going to talk about how I wish this movie was made because I'm so disappointed. But I'm also, I, I, I like okay. this movie, but I'm very disappointed. Um, then Murdoch's one, Murdoch wanders the streets of the city where nobody seems to notice the perpetual nighttime. At midnight, he watches as every single person falls asleep and the strangers physically rearrange the city as in buildings grow and shrink, like they come out of the ground and they Dope. fall into the dirt. Um, and assisted by Schreiber, Keith Sutherland's character, change the inhabitants' identities and their memories. He, uh, yeah, so basically they, they implant people with different memories. I think the first time you see this happen, there's this really poor couple talking and then their building grows and becomes a mansion and they go in and give them fake memories to think that they've always been rich and stuff like that. Is there a reason why? Yeah, I was wondering why would they do this. I will explain that later. Okay. okay. Yeah, so um, even though... Actually, no, I'll explain that right now because that's when the movie explains it. They are... Okay. The, the, strangers, are, the strangers are slowly dying. They, they are a race of like a hive mind alien species and they are slowly dying and they're looking for the thing that makes human beings unique. They're looking for the human soul. Mm. So they feel like if they, they can switch around people's memories and try to find it through that. Hmm. Cool. Uh, okay. Yep. Um, I mean, they can fly, so yeah, sure. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's yeah. So, um, so Murdoch learns that he's from a coastal town called Shell Beach, which is familiar to everyone, but nobody knows how to get there, and all of his attempts to visit are unsuccessful. So, like, he takes a train, 
And he's like, oh, this this train goes to one more stop to Shell Beach, but it does it just stops there and he can't go any further. And he's like, so he tries to get out of the city, but he can't. That does remind me of the Truman Show. Well, yeah, it's a little Except Truman Show. Everybody, do, nobody, not nobody's in on it. Right. 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 Okay. Um, okay. It's yeah. This movie's a little Truman Showy, a little Matrixy, a little Inception. Mm-hmm. Um, meanwhile, one of the strangers, Mister Hand. Mister uh, Hand. They're they're named like Mister Hand, Mister Book, Mister Clock, Mister Glove. They're just Mister and a random word. That's okay, so Reservoir them. Dogs. I kind of really kinda, like that. Yeah, it's kind of cool. It's kind of weird. So actually, I think it explains later. But I'm gonna go ahead and explain it now. The strangers are like a race of alien energy beings that have taken over dead bodies. Mm. So okay. that's why they're all pale. That's why they're all wearing the same thing. Uh, yeah. So I need an energy. You're being. not vampires. But I need an energy being to take over my body right now. <laughs> um. So Mister Hand injects himself with a copy of memories that were supposed to be given to Murdoch, hopefully helping them track Murdoch down. How? How? So, How do they have a copy? Kiefer Sutherland. So they make Kiefer Sutherland recreate the memories that were supposed to be given to Murdoch. I'll explain that okay. in a couple seconds, okay. actually. Um, oh, this is actually a time when I should explain Mr. Hand. Um, Mr. Hand is played by Richard O'Brien, um, and he was specifically picked for this role because of his role in Rocky Horror Picture Show. Nice. And that's who the strangers are based off of, is his character in Rocky Horror. Interesting. Yeah. Kind of love that. Right? It's a little weird, strange, but I, it's great. So Murdoch and Bumstead, the inspector. Uh, Frank. <laughs> oh, wait. No, sorry. Inspector Bumstead eventually catches Murdoch, uh, though he acknowledges that Murdoch is most likely innocent as by then he has his own misgivings about the nature of the city. Bumstead has been having his own uh, B-plot He's starting to doubt that the city's even real because he's taken on this case from a previous detective who threw himself in front of a train. Oh. Um, yeah, it's real weird, but it's great. Uh, yeah, where am I? They confront Schreiber, who explains that the strangers, I already explained this, which are extraterrestrial beings who use human corpses as their hosts, have a hive mind and are experimenting with humans to analyze individuality in hopes of making a discovery that will help their race survive. Once again, they're slowly dying. Kiefer Sutherland points out that they're really looking for the human soul. Schreiber also reveals that Murdoch is an anomaly and is an anomaly who inadvertently woke, woke up when Schreiber was in the middle of imprinting his latest identity, identity as a murderer. This is when we find out that they were trying to experiment, see, oh, well, what happens? They were trying to study a serial killer, so they took Murdoch and tried to implant the memories of uh, him murdering a bunch of prostitutes. Um, but Murdoch woke up while he was getting the memories implanted and broke the syringe. Mm. Um, so that's why he doesn't remember anything besides bits and pieces because he only got part of his memories. Murdoch and Bumstead take Schreiber and attempt to reach Shell Beach, but instead end up at a poster for the town on a wall at the edge of the city. Basically, they open a door. Oh, this is supposed to be Shell Beach, and it's just a big poster on a wall. And they, they start tearing it down, Murdoch and Bumstead break through the wall, revealing outer space. <laughs> what? And yeah, so, as, 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 yeah, yeah, as they would. So on the other side of the wall is just outer <laughs> yes, space. Yes. And like some strap, some like of the rock drifts out and it, uh, it hits like a force field and goes right through it. Um, so would like, does Ethan, what's gravity, the force field there for? Like, <laughs> I, have, I have questions. Yeah. I, okay. It's kind of it, just like is, seeing is believing. I just wanted to watch this. this yeah, right. <laughs> I, it seems I, it seems like a good watch. Suspension of disbelief. It's fine. I kind of I kind of felt bad about picking this movie last week, and then I watched it. Oh, I felt bad because I was like, I don't want to spoil this movie for you guys or the audience. I want them to watch it because I remember watching this when I was younger and being like, oh my gosh. But then I realized that they spoil the entire movie within the first twenty minutes, and I was like, I'm okay. And it's even worse in the theatrical cut where the movie starts with Keith or Sutherland narrating, explaining exactly what's going on. Right, that's what and you were saying. That's the, the director's cut just took that whole thing out, and it's like, okay, that's better. But they still don't do a great... I'm, I'm, was that the only change? There was, um, an, there was another thing where, like, the first time they change everything, 
the inspector wakes up and the the coffee in his mug is swirling. They took that out in the theatrical cut. Oh, what? Because like the audience didn't understand it, but the director loved the idea of like when they change things, things that they don't intend to change also change. Mm. Oh. So he left it in the director's cut. It's a su- Those are the two differences between the two cuts. Oh, I was thinking it was like some evidence was left of people being there. Not really. Because they don't change anything that, about him. Like, what the heck? <laughs> kind of, that would have been cool it's, if like there was a coat hanger rocking in the closet, and he's like, somebody was just here. Like that would have been a little more intriguing. But yeah, that would have been a lot. Cooler. Whatever coffee swirl. Right. Whatever. I, yeah. So I'm, This is not the movie for me to be explaining at like half brain capacity right now. But I'm I'm certainly trying. Um, yeah, You're doing so, great, bud. So she, rocks fly out of out of the city into this force field and drift off into space. Then um, then the strangers arrive, including Mr. Hand, and they have uh, Emma as a hostage, so Jennifer Connelly. She's been in the movie the whole time. She's been doing a bunch of stuff. It's just I haven't mentioned it. Um, it they, everyone fights. Then Bumstead and one of the strangers fall through the hole and drift out into space. And, the sh- and that's when we see the city for the first time in its entirety. And it's basically a big disc with the city sitting on top. If that makes any sense. It's like a flat world with a city on top of it. I'm picturing Bossing Say. Kind of that, okay. except it's just the city floating in space. Okay. And it's sure. got like a like a force field around it. Sure, Jan. Yeah. <laughs> um Yeah, so then the strangers bring Murdoch to their home beneath the city. There is no war in Dark City. There is no war in Dark City. They bring them to they bring Murdoch to their home underneath the city with a giant machine in the middle. And force Schreiber, they force Schreiber to imprint Murdoch with all of their collective memories, believing Murdoch to be the culmination of their experiments because he has their ability. They think he's more evolved than everyone. Um, Schreiber betrays them and instead inserts false memories in Murdoch that artificially reestablish his childhood as years spent training and honing his tuning skills and learning about the strangers in their machines. Basically, Keith Sutherland has made fake memories for Mur- Murdoch in which he remembers his childhood being a series of events of him learning to hone his abilities and learning about the strangers and all their machines and stuff like that. Okay. So Murdoch wakes up, and he's now fully able to realize his powers. He frees himself and battles with the strangers and defeats their leader, Mr. Book, in a psychokinetic <laughs> fight high above the city. They're basically flying, throwing stuff at each other. It's it's not. Oh, my favorite Wanda, fight. It's very, it's very, <laughs> it's very final fight in Marvel, and it's not my favorite. Um, they literally have a part where they like mind shoot at each other, and it like it meets in the middle like Harry Potter with the wands. You know what I mean? It's like why why is this in here? How does it compare to the Shark Boy and Lava Girl battle between the Dreamers? Uh, very similar. Oh, so no, that's good. Yeah, that's good. No, this movie's all right. Yeah, brain fart. Um, so after learning from Schreiber that Emma has been re-imprinted with new memories and cannot be restored, Murdoch employs his powers, amplified by the Stranger's machine, to create an actual shell beach by flooding uh, the area just outside of the city, but within the force field, full of water, and forming. Um, and forming the dock and the beaches and stuff like that. Um, he also turns the city to face the sun, so now it's in daylight, and now we have clouds and everything. Um, on his way home, Murdoch encounters a dying Mr. Hand and informs him that the strangers searched in the wrong place, the mind, to understand humanity, implying that they should have looked in the heart. The heart. Oh, yeah. wholesome. Um, Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then, and then we have the last five minutes where he opens the door and goes out, opens the door leading out of the city, goes into the dock to meet Emma, who is now Anna because she's had her memories reimprinted, and okay. uh, they talk, and then they both go to Shell Beach together. Shell questions, city. questions. I might have answers. Um. So yeah, there's some memento in there. Yep. There's some, the ending of Phineas and Ferb movie in there. What's funny about that is that, like, when making Inception, Christopher Nolan said uh, he wanted to make it like movies from the Matrix and the Dark City era. Like, he yeah. directly referenced Dark huh. City. That's why, that's, I think that's why Shell Beach and all that looks 
eerily similar to the limbo the scene in Inception. Inception. It also reminds me of City of Lost Children, which is very funny because I considered doing it for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and I... now I'm like, we're not doing that. <laughs> we're not doing that. It's too similar. Oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, but questions, seriously. I I it's not the most like there's a whole subplot with the the inspector played by William Hurt. He takes over the case at the beginning of the movie from the previous detective who started going crazy because he started figuring out that it's all like a borderline simulation and everyone's having their dreams replaced and then he jumps in front of a train with uh, next when he's standing next to Murdoch. And then there's a whole thing where it's like um Murdoch goes to a prostitute to see if he's willing to kill her, to see if he's actually a serial killer, and he can't do it, so he leaves. And then Mr. Hand shows up and actually does kill her because now he's the serial killer they wanted. It's really oh, weird. The memory. Yeah, 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 I yeah. what I really, really wish this movie was was entirely from Murdoch's perspective, but it's not. It jumps around a lot. Like our main characters are John Murdoch, the detective, Emma. And Mr. Hand. And it goes between all four of their perspectives. So we as the audience know everything that's going on. Yeah. I really wish we didn't. Yeah. I wish it didn't have any of the big action scenes. And I wish we didn't know what was going on until the end. Because that movie, movie yeah. would have been way better. It feels but, really tangential. Yeah. It could have been more focused. They explain everything so quickly. And the editing is so choppy. Oh. It, it hurts me to see. They, they. You see, I feel like it's, it's, when we watch it, I wouldn't have noticed it. But now that you say that, I'll be paying strict attention to every little cut. <laughs> but like, even in the last five minutes we watched, right? He opens the door and it shows his face experiencing the sunlight in three different cuts. It cuts from his face to just outside to his face to just outside that's to so his face. So it can't, it can't just sit in the moment. It, it has it, to move. For a movie that's so heavily based in film noir, it can't sit in the moment. Interesting. And that makes me so mm. sad. Hmm. Yes. And it's too action-packed, and it's too... It's not slow enough, and that makes me really sad. This the, the movie feels like it has a lot of potential, and it kind of fumbled the bag. But what's funny is uh, Roger Ebert called it the best movie of 1998, and he even did the commentary on, on the DVD. Whoa. Interesting. Nice. Even better than Shakespeare in Love? Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, it's, it, 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 it bombed at the box office, but it got such Gee, a huge cult following, why. and it's a good movie. I just have problems with it, because I, I, I had a preconceived notion when I watched it when I was 10 years old, remembering, like, when I was 10 years old watching this movie, going, this movie's amazing. And now I'm like... This movie's so disappointing to me. I think mm. you should watch City of Lost Children. I, I really, I think will. you will like it so much more. It's it's more will. steampunk, but it's Ooh. yeah, it's June and it's oh, awesome. Okay. I okay, I actually, it's, I will definitely. It's watch like that. this plot, but oh, I don't want to spoil it. You should just watch it. Just watch it. Just watch it. I think I've seen one frame of that. Yeah. Movie. <laughs> The banner on Letterboxd, <laughs> and it looks so cool. It is pretty cool. But the, the set design in this movie is so good. Like, it feels dark me. and dingy, and it's it reminds me of, I'm trying to, it reminds me a lot of Brazil. Mm-hmm. In, like, that rare, very, like, all the sets are built. It's it's a bunch of built sets. There's very little CG, and like, it's, it feels... claustrophobic like, in an entertaining way. Yeah, it's very claustrophobic, and it's it's really good, and... Oh, man, I'm just so disappointed that they told you everything up front. Like, I picked the director's cut so we didn't have that narration, and then they basically just told you everything in the first act. Mm. I'm so, the second act is way better than the first, and then the third act is a third act. Like, I can't mm. describe it any other way. Got it. Guess we gotta watch it. Guess we gotta watch it, though. No, we're right. watching director's cut without the exposition. Yeah, of we're watching like the director's video. cut, because cool. I bought it. Um... And you know what? I might like it better the second time, but whatever. Alrighty. So that was Dark City. That was Dark City. Um, All right. It's much better than I'm mad about. Like it's 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 a much better movie <laughs> than yeah, I'm actually expecting to really like this movie. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's one of those that Ben, I think you're gonna really like it. Yeah. Um one, it's well, very Christopher Nolan. One you gotta see is Predestination. It reminds me like from what I've seen of Predestination, it reminds me a lot of that. Yeah. It on okay. I'm going to say this, and I hope at least one of you guys gets it. The Strangers look a lot like Alien X from the Ben 10 movie. Got oh, it. yeah, yeah. Okay. Dope. Good. Awesome. Good. I'm in. <laughs> Except they're bald. <laughs> Even better. Mr. Clean vibes. Let's go. Exactly. Yeah. 
All right. So thank you guys for listening. Uh, next week, our host will be Hannah. Hannah, yeah. if you want to introduce our movie for next week. Next week, we're going to be watching Hiding Out. Ooh, what's available on? I believe it's available to rent. I've not found it free for streaming. I'm so, so sorry. On Vudu and YouTube. It is no longer available on Prime. Oof. Sad. Sorry, sorry. I will apologize, guys. Sorry that this week I picked a movie that isn't streaming anywhere, and Hannah picked a movie yeah, that isn't streaming twice anywhere. in a row. But you know what? We picked the movies we want to watch. So there. <laughs> I'm getting mad at you. All right. Um, I want to thank Aaron. Yeah, thank you, Aaron, so for doing wonderful man. You, you are amazing, and we're gonna have you on soon. Love my life, Aaron. <laughs> yep. All righty. Well, so and Emma. Yeah, and my actual Emma. girlfriend Emma, but but she knows, she she they she, work knows. Yeah. she knows she, she knows. knows she knows she knows she um, knows. All right, she thank knows. you for listening. Thank you so much for listening. I've been August, and I still am. Last time I checked, I was Luke. I mean, I'm still Dad, but like I'm Hannah. You know. I used to be Ben. And thank you guys for listening to Nuclear Popcorn. I hate you. <laughs> we'll see you next time. See you next time. See you next time. <laughs>